Amen. Good morning, church. It is good to be with you this morning. I'm really grateful that you are here today. And I just want to echo what's already been mentioned. If you're a guest, we want to extend a special welcome to you this morning. Uh, we hope that you have been encouraged by being here, and we hope that you'll stick around afterwards so that we can have a better chance to get to know you. We're going to be in John chapter 3 together this morning. I want to encourage you to find a Bible. If you have yours, and find John chapter 3. If you don't have one with you, uh, there may be one there in the pew in front of you. And we're going to read together from John chapter 3 in just a minute. The new school year always brings with it uh, an excitement and an energy that I think is really important and an anticipation for what's ahead in the coming months. Uh, But we know it's also a a time of transition. It can be a time that's hard for some. And our prayer is that it will be a great year for each of our area districts and that, as was prayed earlier, that God will uh, bless our students and teachers and school district employees in every capacity that they serve and they work in, uh, and, and that God will also grant safety to each of our districts as this year uh, unfolds. I want to uh, specifically be sure to thank Michael and Joe and Tommy for their help and part in, in helping us make this worship service happen today and the work that they do in each of their respective districts. Uh, our hope is through today, as we do this day every year, a back-to-school Sunday and dedicate one day to specifically praying for the upcoming school year, our hope is uh, that everyone feels more prepared after today, Uh, that we feel like we have been uh, encouraged and equipped to go out and to be God's people in the places uh, where we go to school. And we know that even if you're not in school, the school district, the the beginning of a school year just kind of, you know, almost for the most part, we, we kind of function, society kind of functions on the school calendar in some ways more than the actual January to December calendar. And so we know that there's a lot of newness right now, and our hope is that we feel more equipped and prepared to go into that as we study and teach and work and give our time to another year. I want to I make sure and make one plug uh, as well. Chris mentioned this in the beginning of our service today, but we have also, like our school districts, we have a no-child-left-behind policy. And there are some pictures of kids that are still hanging on the wall of this auditorium. And so if you have not picked up a picture to pray for one of our students before you leave, please do that. If you have picked up a picture and there is still a student, you're allowed, you know, by the end, you're allowed to take two. It's okay. You can pray for two people. Uh, And I want to say that that one of the things we want to encourage is not just that you take this picture and hang it on a refrigerator or a mirror somewhere and pray for this student, but that uh, maybe you look for opportunities to get to know them, to pray for them this year. Uh, if you don't know them and want to find them this morning or find a parent or grandparent that maybe is connected to them and find out some specific ways that you can pray, that's also a great idea. Or send a note of encouragement throughout the year. If you don't know who your child is, but you say, you know what, I'm going to take that, go find Chris or Suzanne, and they can help you know who it is that you're praying for. Maybe they have some ideas about that as well. So let's not have any kids pictures on the wall when we walk out of here in just a few minutes together deal deal all right y'all were kind of quiet there I was making sure you were awake uh we're gonna pray together and then we're gonna jump into what uh we're gonna study together this morning so if you would just bow with me as we start this morning father we pray as we've just sung that you will awake uh, the kingdom seed in our hearts that you will set our hearts on fire for you to live as your people. And this morning, God, as we 
gather, we're specifically mindful for the year that is ahead of us and the newness that it brings for every family that is connected to the school year. And any, in many ways, many who are maybe not have, don't have kids in school anymore, but we all know that, that we see uh, the, the, that newness and energy and anticipation of the new year every time that it rolls around in August. And we just pray your blessing again upon uh, each of our area districts and all of those this morning uh, who are guests here this morning who have come to represent their district. And we're so, so thankful for them, those that we mentioned and those that we didn't that are here, thankful for the work they're doing, uh, not only to educate people, but also just to be your people in those places where they serve. God, this morning as we study your word together, I pray that you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear all that you want us to see and hear and that you'll speak through me and allow me to get out of the way and those things that I say that need to stay upon, impressed upon us, that those will stick on our hearts and everything else will fall away. And God, we ask this morning that you will, uh, your spirit will be here among us, continue to be among us and guide us as we study and press upon us uh, your desires for us as people who are a part of your story. We pray in the name of Jesus and the church said, amen. amen. So over the last two months, we have been in a series called Major Minor, where we're looking at minor characters in the story of Scripture, the story of God, and how those minor characters, maybe people you've never heard of, how their stories and their lives point to a major God. And this morning, we're going to conclude this series. And as we do that, I want to quickly kind of recap what we've talked about over the last several weeks in some ways to kind of catch us up, but also for some other reasons that I'll explain in just a minute. So kind of quickly, I want to walk through what we've talked about over the last several weeks. In week one, we looked at the life of a widow whose name we never learn, uh, who had no money, but she had great faith. She's from the town of Zarephath, and she trusted God and had her eyes opened so that she saw and had faith in God. And in week two, we talked about a guy named Joseph from the town of Arimathea. It was important specifically around the events of Jesus's death and burial, and that he used his resources, his skills, the connections that he had, the position that he had uh, to make the burial of Jesus happen. In fact, we talked about when we looked at Joseph of Arimathea, we talked about the fact that the disciples sort of vanish during this period of burying Jesus. They're nowhere to be found, and this minor character Joseph steps in, and and the burial may not have happened without him, right? Third week, we talked about Two Hebrew women named Shipra and Pua, they were midwives helping deliver Hebrew babies in Exodus chapter 1. And their whole story is only seven verses long, uh, but it has an incredibly significant impact on the story of God as they stood up to human authority and they stood for God. And their story continues to be told today. And so then in week four, we talked about a guy, maybe the most familiar of all the minor characters that we talked about, a guy named Barnabas whose name, uh, Barnabas, is actually a nickname. It means the son of encouragement. Barnabas shows up during Paul's ministry, and, uh, and we talked about how Barnabas really, I think, is a picture of what the church, as an encouragement to not only one another but to the world, what the church is called to be. We're called to embody the kind of characteristics that Barnabas lived out. We are also called to embody as the body of Christ. And so then after that, in week five, we witnessed and talked about the grace of Jesus as we reflected on 
uh, one of the criminals that hung on his own cross next to Jesus. And we talked about, as we thought about this man's story, that his story really is a story of grace and the mercy of God that all of us need. And then in week six, uh, we talked about a woman named Tabitha that was raised from the dead, one of only a handful of people in the whole Bible who were raised from the dead. Her life was a quiet life, but it made a massive impact specifically on the church. She's, her story is found in the book of Acts when the early church is getting started, and her life made an incredible impact on the early church. And then last week, we talked about a father, a father whose name we also never learned, but whose son was possessed by a demon. And the father uh, found Jesus. He pursued Jesus, and he offered what he had, uh, which was faith mixed with doubt. And he's the father who utters these very familiar words, uh, really, that I think are almost a prayer. I believe, Jesus, help me in my unbelief. And so I mentioned these this morning, again, not only to remind us of their story, but also because I want to remind us again, not only of their story, but of their lives. Some of their names we know, some of their names we do not know, but each one of them played an important part in the story of God. And this morning, I want to conclude by looking at the final minor character in our study, and that character is you. When we read the Bible and we encounter people, I think here we, what we tend to do, we tend to have a, a way of thinking about people in the Bible as, you know, kind of here, right? They're on a certain pedestal. They're on a, cer- they're on a certain level. And we think of ourselves as like in another category. You know, these people, Moses and Abraham and Deborah and Esther and Paul and Peter, they're, they're here somewhere and somehow our lives are here on a different plane, a different level. We're in a different category. But the truth is that each person we read about in Scripture was a normal, regular human being just like you. They made mistakes. Last week's minor character reminded us that they had doubts, they had fears, they have questions, they have imperfections. They had jobs, they had families, they had friendships, just like you. And they also had faith, just like you. They trusted God and placed their faith in God. They believed that God was up to something in the world, that God was at work and doing something, and they joined God in the work that God was doing to move the story forward in whatever way they could with their actions, with their words, with their lives. And, and I can hear someone saying, you know, this morning, or maybe th- as we think about this idea, you're like, you know, okay, Doug, we listed a na- you know, group of characters up there, a group of people up on the screen there. And, and I, you know, their story made it in the Bible. What might be one kind of pushback, right? Our story didn't make it in the Bible. So if we're talking about minor characters, they're again, they're in this category and we're in a different category. And I want to just say again, we have to keep in mind, these are not superhumans that we're reading about in Scripture. They are like us. Yes, the Bible collects and tells their story, but God's story does not stop with Revelation, the last book of the Bible. God's story is still being told today. Amen? And if we, I know we believe that, right? 
But if we don't see ourselves as a part of the story, as a minor character in the story of God, I think what happens is that we run the risk of thinking that the work is done. That somehow when that last word was written in the book of Revelation, that God finished the story. And that why we don't, I mean, you have to explain if you go that route, what, what in the world we're still doing around, right? What's our purpose? We have to see ourselves as a part of the story or we run the risk of thinking that the work is done. God worked then, but, you know, that's all finished now is kind of the way that some people think about it. And I'm in a different category. I'm a different kind of person. And I, I don't think any of us really believe that. So even if you have never this morning considered yourself as a character in the story of God that is unfolding even today, I'm here to tell you today that it is truth that your life matters, your work matters, and God is using your work, your life, your actions, your words to move the story forward in the same way that he's used people for thousands and thousands of years. So this is uh, the audience participation part of our sermon. So you're going to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to say these words as you look at them. You are a character in God's story. Go ahead. All right, now look to the person to the other side of you and say it with a little more passion like you actually believe it. You are a character in God's story. Okay, thank you for participating. You are a part of God's story, friends. You are a part of what God is up to in the world. And this morning, I want us to look at the story of John the Baptist in John chapter 3 as we think about Okay, how, we're minor characters in the story, but how do we approach our role in the story? How do we approach and live into this, this part that God's given us in the story? And so to kind of help make sense of that and think about how we approach that, I want to look at John chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 22, kind of in the middle of the chapter there, but some quick context about what we're going to read before we read it. Jesus has started his ministry in the first couple of chapters of John. He's gathered some disciples. And at this point in John chapter 3, Jesus has already performed a miracle, turning the water into wine. He's already beginning to teach people, and his influence is growing. And so that's kind of the scene we're going to step into as we step into John chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. Let's read together. John writes these words, After this... Jesus and his disciples went out to the Judean countryside where they spent, he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John was also baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and because people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, that's Jesus, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him 
and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. So here is this guy, John, and he has developed quite a following. People are coming out to him to hear his teaching. He's a rabbi. He's a respected Jewish teacher. He has disciples of his own. And people are coming out to him to hear his teaching, to gain wisdom. They're being baptized by him. Like John's trying to make sure we understand that John the Baptist is a pretty big deal at this point, right? There's, there are people going out to see him and crowds that are growing. And the people hear that Jesus is doing similar stuff that John has been doing for some time, baptizing people, teaching people. And now a crowd is beginning to grow around Jesus. And, and his disciples come up to him and, and they say, John, like, what's going on with this Jesus guy? That's my paraphrase of what we just read. Like, are you going to do something about it? Everybody's going to him. Like, maybe his numbers are beginning to dwindle and Jesus' numbers are beginning to grow and his disciples are concerned. What's going on? Isn't there something you can do? And John says, wait just a second. Everything is happening exactly as it should. I'm not the Messiah. I have been sent ahead of him. Sometimes John is referred to as the forerunner. This is an ancient kind of a picture of, of kind of an, like a, if you ever see people paint a picture of John the Baptist, usually he has his finger pointing. And this is this idea of, of I'm not him. And he's pointing to this in the direction of where Jesus might be standing as you imagine this painting. The lamb is almost always, in any painting of John the Baptist, is almost always there to represent the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. John says, I'm not the Messiah. It should, it's happening exactly as it should. I'm just the forerunner. I'm the one who has prepared the way, but the Messiah is coming. And I'm telling you that everything is happening as it's supposed to happen. What's he saying? What's he saying? He's saying, I am a minor character in the story of God. Right? You're saying that people are going to him, and I'm telling you that's what's supposed to happen. Everybody should be going to him. In fact, he goes on and says this great line. He says, he must become greater, and I must become less. Any crowd that I've gathered, any following that I've you know, gained over these months, these years, should dwindle. No one should remember John the Baptist. John the Baptist says, he must become greater and I must become less. Wow, what, what a statement. Not only for John the Baptist's life, but for each of our lives too. Like, I think it would have been easy because success, popularity, gaining momentum, right? These are things that people are, humans are naturally drawn to. We like people to like us. We like people to want to listen to our ideas, follow. If we're a leader, we want, to, we want people to follow us. That's the sign of good leadership. It would have been easy for him to have been like, man, look at everything that I have acquired, you know, all this, these things that I've accomplished, this movement that I've created, that I've built is about me and my greatness. It would have been easy for John to fall into that temptation. But instead, he sees and he understands his role as a minor character. Jesus must be greater. The whole thing is about Jesus, he says. And in the same way, church, it would be easy for us 
to think that our lives are about us. Our jobs, our success, our pleasure, our enjoyment. But if you are in Christ when you were saved by the blood of Jesus and baptized into his name, you know what you were saying was, he must become greater, I must become less. Jesus is the major character in the story and everyone else is an extra. Everyone else is the supporting cast. That's probably one clarification maybe that I should have made about the, the way we've titled this series. Really, there are no... There are no major characters except Christ, right? Everybody is a minor character that isn't playing a supporting role in the story of God. Here's how Jesus says it just a little after John chapter 3 and John chapter 5. In John's gospel, verses 39 and 40, Jesus says it this way. Talking to some of the teachers who were trying to figure Jesus out, he says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. What's Jesus saying? He, he's saying in a really you know, eloquent, sort of fancy way, the point of the Bible is about me. Right? The scriptures that he's referring to are Old Testament scriptures. And then the Gospels are there right at the beginning of the New Testament. And Jesus is saying everything, starting in Genesis 1 all the way to the end of the Old Testament, is pointing toward me, testifying about me. And everything, I believe, though he, he doesn't, I mean, Acts to Revelation weren't written yet. Really, Matthew to Revelation weren't written yet when Jesus is saying these words. So he's not talking about the New Testament scriptures, but I believe that those are included in what he was saying. He's saying everything from Genesis to now is pointing toward me, and everything that will be written after me will point backwards toward me. The point of the Bible is Jesus. He is the major character. There are no other major characters. Everyone else is a minor character in comparison to Jesus, which means that it's also not about Moses or Abraham or David or Esther or Paul or the disciples. Like us, they all were just one life. They are not on a different category or level or pedestal than you are. They were willing to be used by God, that is certain. But they were willing to be used by God in the same way that God intends to use us. Like John the Baptist, we want to say. We want to say about our lives, it is good that everybody is going to Jesus. He has the answers. He has the answer. That's the goal, church. He, we, he must become greater and we must become less. And I think that sometimes we, you know, we forget, right, that like that, that's the point, that's the goal. That the reality is that many of us will not be remembered beyond a couple of generations. But it's okay because our lives are pointing to Christ. Our lives are about Him. But I want to I just say, as we think about this idea about you and I being minor characters in the story, it would also be easy to kind of go down the, the mental path of saying, well, if I'm a minor character, then maybe that means that my life isn't all that important. And I want to just make sure that we say clearly this morning, in no way does that mean that our lives are not important. They are incredibly 
incredibly important. In fact, without minor characters and their lives, the story is not the same. As we've seen in this series, and dozens and dozens and dozens of other examples that we didn't even cover in this series, there are many points along the way where the story almost comes to a screeching halt unless a minor character who has a small role in the story steps up in faith. Every story matters. One, one example that I think about, and I'm not really you know, musically inclined, so kind of follow with me here as I attempt to explain this, but I want to use an example, an illustration from music. In music, the melody is the primary thing that causes you know, a song to happen, it carries a song. Right? It's what we would call the tune of a song. Melody is the most recognizable part of music, but the harmony is what gives the, music, you know, the melody texture. The, the harmony is what supports the melody. The harmony is what helps make the melody more beautiful. In some cases, the harmony helps the melody make more sense as you're trying to understand the direction that the song is moving. And, and when there is only harmony, there is no recognizable tune, and therefore, really no recognizable song. So I want you to think about it this way. The melody is the primary thing that carries a song. Jesus is the melody. Jesus is the tune. He carries the song. He's the thing we want people to hear. That part of that song that you love, that you just can't for whatever reason get out of your head and out of your heart, that you just start humming or singing randomly because it got buried somehow into your head and your, in your heart, right? That's the part, that's Jesus. Like that, if you think about Jesus in relation to the melody, that's the part that we want people to remember, the part we want them to sing and the part that gets buried into their heart and mind and spirit. And we are the harmony. The way that Jesus designed this is that we play a part in the story. Our lives play a part in the song. Our lives support his mission and life and purpose. When you take the major character, the melody, and you take all the minor characters, the harmony, and you put them together, it turns out to be really incredible music. He must become greater, we must become less. And sometimes we say it this way. Tommy actually referenced this as we gathered for communion a minute ago. That We, we say, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. What, is that, what does that statement really mean when we talk about being the hands and feet of Jesus? It means that we are not Jesus, but that we are a part of what Jesus is up to in the world. We play a part in the story, and that Jesus isn't here anymore, but that we've been filled with his presence and now have become ambassadors, carriers of his mission and his message into the world. You are one of those people that God intends to use. Now, I want to think back to the people that we remembered that we talked about in this series a little while ago. And again, at, at the risk of, of being, you know, maybe a, a bit depressing or something, I, I want to recognize and just be honest about the fact that it's important that we, as we think about the minor characters that God has used throughout history, none of them are here anymore, right? Like the way, I mean, death is the end for all of us, but this is the thing that's interesting is that the way that the story of God moves forward is that people embody and embrace the idea of Jesus being Lord. 
And they live that out in such a way before their friends, before their family, before their neighbors, that people begin to wonder about this Jesus. And then other people begin to follow Jesus. That's, that, Christianity is a received faith. You learned it from somebody and they learned it from somebody else. And the story keeps moving forward even though the people are always changing. For thousands of years, the people that are moving the story forward have come and they have gone. They have come and they have gone. And yet here we are, 2,000 years later, still talking about Jesus of Nazareth. One of the things that every minor character had before, had in common with all of us, is that they all only had one life. And their lives were brief. You heard me say in some of these stories, their lives were longer than the way that they're recorded in Scripture. But I mean, we know very, very little about anything beyond their life, beyond what's just a few verses in Scripture, right? For each one of those people before us, they played a part in in the larger story of God. And their life may have been brief, but I want you to hear me on this. Brief does not equal insignificant. Your life is brief. My life is brief. James, in James chapter 4, says that our lives are like a mist that appear for a little while and then are gone. And your story can be a mist and still be a significant impact. Right? They all made an impact for the kingdom of God. And the goal isn't that people remember us. I don't care if anybody remembers my name. What I care is that someone remembers the name of Jesus because of my life, and I know that's what you believe and want as well. The goal is faithfulness, to be faithful, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, to express your faith in love to those around you. And as we begin a new school year, my challenge for each one of you that will be working or studying in an area district is to remember that there are you are there for more than just whatever it is that you're doing while you're there. You're there for more than whatever it is that you're doing while you are there. You're maybe, you may be teaching, you might be studying, you might be coaching, you might be answering phones, you might be meeting with parents or grading papers. That's not actually a primary reason that you're there. As a follower of Jesus, you are there as a representative of Jesus Christ. And your life is telling a story. And you get to decide what kind of story that it will tell. You're a minor character who has an important role in moving the story of God forward. And I want to just also say to those of us who are not in school as students or employees in any capacity anymore, the challenge is still the same, right? Our lives were bought with a price. And our lives are all telling a story. So whether tomorrow you go to an office or you get to sleep in because you're retired or you're staying home with young children or you're making a sales call, do those things to the glory of God. Live your life in a way that the notes of your life join the melody of Jesus' life and turn into a beautiful song. Moments that God can use to make beautiful music with your life. Every mile, every part of your life, of your journey matters. And as you go from this place, what I want us to do is to remember the calling that we have received and embrace that calling and to live out 
this role that we've been given, though it may be small, though it may be brief, to remember that it has the potential to be significant as God uses whatever part of our story that God plans to use. So this morning, we're going to conclude. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in a little bit different way. We're going to conclude this morning with uh, an ancient blessing from the Old Testament. And I want you, if you're on this side of the room, I want you to turn and face this side of the room. If you're on this side of the room, I want you to turn and face this side of the room so you're looking somebody in the eye. And we're going we're gonna to bless one another as minor characters in the story of God this morning, okay? Does that sound all right? Does that sound all right? Okay, all right, all right. So this blessing from, from Numbers chapter 6, I'm going to say a line and then you repeat that line. And then, uh, and then we'll conclude this way. And I want you to think as you say this blessing, as you uh, pronounce this blessing over your fellow minor characters in this story, I want you to, to, in, to in, imagine that this is God speaking a word over you today. Here we go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. And be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we come thankful that we get to play a part in Your story. What a humbling gift it is to be Your people, to be Your children, to get to have a small role in the story that You are telling with the lives of Your people. Father, continue to use us, mold us, shape us so that we look more like Christ as we go out into the places where we work and live and serve and interact with others each and every day. And God, I ask this morning that you will bless us and keep us and make your face to shine upon us. Be gracious to us and turn your face toward us and give us peace as we carry your story forward. We're thankful for Christ. We pray that it is his name that everyone remembers long after we're gone. We want our lives to be able to be lived in such a way that long after we're gone, the name of Christ is still being lifted high. And that maybe no one ever remembers any of us. Praise God, let it happen, let it be so. But that the name of Jesus is still being spoken of and proclaimed in all the earth. We're thankful for people like John the Baptist who understood this early on and understood and proclaimed that Christ must become greater and all of us must become less. Help us in this pursuit, God, we pray. And the church said this morning, through the name of Jesus, amen. This morning, we want to invite you uh, in, into a time of response. Uh, really, the, the, the invitation is to respond to God in whatever way you need to respond to God. It may be that you stand right where you are, and you just say again this morning, you know, God, I, I want to I live into this role that you've given me as a character in your story. Uh, it may be that you, you want to receive prayer in a public way, and if so, I'll be down front. There'll be a shepherd in the back if you want to pray with someone privately. You're also encouraged to find somebody around you and pray. However you need to respond to God, let's do that while we sing this song together. Jesus, be the center of it all. Jesus, at the center of it all. From beginning to the end. It will all 
always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will do. Jesus, you're the center. Everything revolves around you. Jesus, you. Jesus, be the center of my life. Jesus, be the center of my life. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will do. Jesus, you're the center. Everything revolves around you. Jesus, you. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus, be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus, be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus, be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. Jesus, be the center of your church. Jesus, be the center of your church. And every knee will bow. And every tongue shall confess you, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Nothing else matters, nothing in this world will do. Jesus, you're the center. Everything revolves around you. Jesus, you. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus, 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 Jesus.
My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath is covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. And all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground.